Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. If you want to be turning to a scripture, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. As we discussed last week, the theme of the book of Colossians is Christ. The fancy word that's used to describe that is Christology, which means simply means the study of Christ and his nature. And... Uh, We're going to be looking at just one short section in chapter 1 today. It's a prayer that's uttered by Paul on behalf of the Colossian church. And we're going to look at it in two parts, parts 1 and 2. Part 1 is today, and that's verses uh, 3 through 6 or 7. Actually, verse through verse 7. And... Before we begin that discussion, though, uh, I'd like to uh, just ask a question. Uh, The subject that we're going to be talking about today is Thanksgiving, and so I chose this beautiful scene uh, because it represents, to me at least, all of the Thanksgiving colors in that time of the year. Uh, So I'm going to use that as a backdrop to talk about Thanksgiving question I'd like to ask is what are the types of prayer that we normally engage in that we read about in scripture and uh, from Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3 we know that one of them is thanksgiving but what are some other forms of prayer in which we engage anyone Adoration, adoration, all right? What else? What other kinds of prayer do we engage in? Petition, yes. Fred? Request for forgiveness. Others that come to mind. Supplication, all right. Others? Well, I think you've listed all of the ones. Well, I just hit the wrong button. And that may have messed the whole thing up. Uh, Can you help me back there and get it going? I'm sorry. I uh, took my eye off the button and hit the wrong one. Ah. Petition, supplication, request, worship, devotion, praise, intercession. I don't think we mentioned intercession. That's something that we pray on behalf of others, and it overlaps with these others. But one we don't hear very often is that last one, imprecatory prayer. And I'm not going to try to explain it because Brother Glenn has told me that uh, uh, very shortly he's going to have a sermon about that, but it has to do with 
and is primarily found in the book of Psalms, has to do with praying evil or judgment to come upon your enemies. So how does that fit into Christianity? Well, Brother Glenn is going to have the answers for those uh, on that subject. But these are some of the types of prayer, and we know that there are examples throughout Scripture. I've given uh, some of the references there that uh, if you want to uh, look those up, But uh, today we're going to be talking about Paul's thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1. As I indicated, this is part one of a two-part prayer, uh, or I'm breaking it at least into two parts, uh, the second part being petitions. So the first part, thanksgiving, the second part being petitions. As we uh, discussed last week, Paul begins his letter with a greeting in verses 1 and 2, and uh, he uh, introduces uh, the letter uh, to those. And, uh, but in verse 3, he talks about thanksgiving, or says, we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is beginning his uh, letter to them with prayer. And if you look at Paul's letters, all but one of them, 11 out of the 12 or 11 out of the 13th, if you want to count Hebrews as one of Paul's letters. So 11 of his letters begin or have in the very early chapters a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. So this is a common ingredient in Paul's ministry. It's Certainly something that we ought to think about, I I think, and spend some time on it. You may think, well, why just verses 3 through 8? That's not very much. Well, uh, and and when I first looked at it, it didn't seem so much. But when you dig into it, there are a lot of lessons that are buried within this. And particularly when we allow ourselves to look a little bit beyond these verses into some of uh, Paul's other prayers. Now, Paul also typically, and we'll look at, at some of these things as we get further into the book, he typically commended the brethren in a particular church. He would sometimes reprove them, reprove them rebuke them, uh, offer admonitions, and we'll be examining those uh, as, as the uh, weeks progress. But what I'd like to do today is to look at some of the things that uh, relate to thanksgiving. And I I doubt if any of this is particularly new to you, but it interested me at least in thinking about thanksgiving. What are some of the things that produce thanksgiving and or should produce thanksgiving according to Scripture? And you'll find on this page several things listed here. Uh, Paul mentioned in the very first, first verse of our reading Uh, He mentioned the uh, faithfulness, uh, made reference to the faithfulness and and thanking God on their behalf. He mentioned faithfulness in verse 2 in the the greeting that we considered last week. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talked about he was grateful, thankful that the gospel was spreading in in. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he mentions the liberality of others. That's that uh, contribution that uh, Brother Glenn mentioned in his sermon that was gathered up 
for the churches in Judea because of the famine. And he's praising the brethren in Colossae because of their liberality and thanking God for their liberality. In Ephesians 5 and verse 4, kind of an interesting contrast there. It says, Paul says, in effect, you should be giving thanks, not engaging in all kinds of loose, filthy, or careless talk. So your talk should be, if you're going to have something to say, say something thankful to God. Thank God for what he's doing, rather than to speak ill of another person or speak in some foul way. Philippians 4 and verse 6, a very familiar passage to us. There he offers supplication and request. Uh, He mentions those and says that we should let those be known to God. And then he gives thanks, uh, rather mentions thanksgiving specifically in uh, Colossians chapter 4. We'll look at that later. And here he gives it as a command. And it's very similar to the command that he gives uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, uh, where it tells us to pray without ceasing. Uh, Paul tells the brethren in Colossae to give strict attention to thanksgiving. So just by virtue of the number of prayers that he offered of thanksgiving, and this, this, this among other statements, indicates that Paul regarded thanksgiving to God is something very important. And then he also exhorted in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1 them to thanksgiving, and that thanksgiving should be made in a very broad way. He said, offer thanks for, should be made uh, for all men. Now, Proceeding into some details in this prayer, I suggest to you that this prayer in these few short verses defines or helps define for us what the scope of our own prayer should be and the scope of our service, our ministry. Uh, He mentions several things. Uh, First of all, he begins in verse 3, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praying always for you. He begins with that pronoun we. And uh, if you look through the book, you'll find that that we includes not only Paul, but Luke, Timothy, Tychicus, and others. That uh, I I don't know, as I recall, there's something like seven or eight. So Paul was very well supported in his time uh, in jail and house arrest there in Rome. And I would imagine that the people in Colossae would have been encouraged. I know I would be if I had someone writing to me of the stature and the faithfulness and the quality of these brethren, Paul, Luke, Timothy, and Tychicus, and others, uh, praying on their behalf. So I'm sure they must have been very grateful. And notice it says, it's to the God and Father of our Lord, remembering always that Jesus is our Lord, and in fact, he's the Lord of all, not just our Lord. One of the things to notice in this, among others, is that 
in, in the various verbs that occur in this passage, almost all of them are used in the present tense or con, uh, carrying the idea of con, continuation or continuity. So he is urging them, first of all, to continually be addressing God, praying always, he says. And that uh, word praying, we'll talk about that in just a minute. It's kind of interesting to uh, dig in just a little bit. Uh, He told them that they should continue to give thanks, that they should pray always in verse 3. And he goes on later and says that they have a hope which should be continuing. And then he talks about the gospel coming to them. And he said, it continually comes to you as we enjoy today through the word. And uh, that also suggests to us something about how we should carry out the gospel, how we should handle it. We should continually engage in taking it to others. They continue to bring forth fruit. And uh, we'll talk about that some more in a bit. And he talked about his brother Epaphras, uh, who was from Colossae. And he said he continued to be a faithful minister. Brother Glenn talked about faithfulness and being faithful. Uh, That indeed is something that would be worthy for all of us to have others praise us for continuing. Not just being faithful, but he continually is faithful. So I think there's some things to be understood about the scope and the nature of our ministry from these things that he mentions here. And he uses that word praying uh, always for you. The word praying is a compound word in the Greek, and the first part means literally towards or in the direction of, and the second part is request or prayer. So it's setting forth the idea that our prayers, our request, should be directed toward looking in the direction of, in fact, seeking to look face-to-face with God the Father, to express our gratitude continually to Him. And of course, he goes on and says, praying always. And I mentioned earlier, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, <clears throat> going back to that, just making a reference to that, it, it in, includes an interesting scope in our prayers of thanksgiving and in our prayers. It says, It's a command to pray for thanksgiving in everything, at all occasions, and for all things. So, thanksgiving for all things. Now, certainly, I don't think that includes evil and bad, but uh, I am fairly confident. I know in my own case that if we just spend a little time thinking, we don't have a real challenging task to come up with some things that we can be thankful to God for. And in verse 6, it talks about bringing forth fruit continually. Uh, Our fruit bearing, our service, is something to be continuous. It's not not an intermittent thing, an on-off kind of thing, but it's always a part of our service, 
but it's also a way that we thank God by rendering service to him. And the gospel was available to these folks on a continuing basis. Uh, Again, coming to that present tense use of the word and the continuity involved. And that again suggests to me, I think suggests to us, that our task is to make the gospel continually available at all times, all circumstances, just exactly like uh, the faithful brother Epaphras did in this. Some other things to consider in this prayer. There are three key words that are given there. Faith in Christ Jesus, love for all the saints, and a hope that's laid up in heaven. I'd like to read those verses, and if you would, follow with me. Beginning in verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So Paul had heard about these brethren, and he had heard these three key words, or he used this to describe what he had heard. He had heard of their faith, their love, and their hope. These three words are found multiple times together, not necessarily in the same order, but they're found other, on other occasions. And I want us to look at at least a couple of three of those. But uh, these words describe the reputation of this church, their faith, their love, and their hope. Uh, and he also noticed, he mentions their faith in Christ Jesus. That's where they lived, where they exercised their faith, their love, and they had their hope. It was in the realm, in the sphere, in the domain of Jesus Christ where they exercised these things. Uh, And that is very consistent if you think about it when it when he talks about being in Christ, over and over he uses the phrase, in Christ, in him, in Christ Jesus, in the Lord. Expressions like that to describe where our action, where our thoughts, where our activity uh, is to be. You know, I, in thinking about these, I don't think that we can take any one of them and isolate them. If you think about Christianity that we're all familiar with and it's all part of the way we live, uh, they are all exercised together. Uh, I don't think one works without the other. In fact, he, in speaking in verse 5 of the hope, he says, because of the hope, uh, and this word because that's used there has caused confusion for a few people uh, because it seems to be saying because of your hope you have faith and love. Notice what it says. He mentions their faith and love in verse 4. And he says because of the hope which is laid up for you. So he's suggesting if you take that word, and, and that's the way I understand it is, 
The idea in because is, is a word that refers to the channel of action of something. Uh, because your, uh, your hope is the channel of action in your life, you have faith and love. Now actually, if you think about it a little more, you can flip that around and say, because of faith and love, we have hope as well. In fact, I don't think either one of them is, is uh, in any way inconsistent with, with the, screech, the teaching of, uh, of Scripture. But in this particular case, he does seem to be saying, because of the foundation of your hope, you have faith and love. As we know, faith comes from hearing the word. Uh, and it's interesting that he suggests here, because of the hope which is laid up for you, of which you have heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel. So faith comes by hearing, but hope comes by hearing as well. Uh, and there's... Uh, some other things to think about this. Uh, and if we look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, these three words are mentioned together. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And of course, that reminds us of of uh, Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about the whole armor, the panoply of God. Uh, so our, in this context in First Thessalonians, he's talking about uh, the coming day of judgment. But uh, in, in Ephesians, it refers to our day-by-day sort of activity as Christians. We are to constantly have these as a part of us, faith, love, and hope. And then there's another place where the three words occur together, and that's in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. And this is another one of Paul's prayers. Again, he's using these three key ingredients and in praying on behalf of the church in Ephesus, as he did in Colossae. Uh, and as I mentioned before, I don't think that a Christian can call themselves a Christian unless they can indeed say, I have faith, I love, I have hope. And whether you uh, want to argue that faith and love are built on hope or the other way around, uh, I think they're so intricately tied together that as a Christian, we cannot divorce ourselves from one of them and say, well, I'll exercise my faith but I don't feel so much like being a loving person today a Christian cannot separate them I would suggest to you and one other place uh, and that's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3 where these terms are also used together and this to me is a very powerful passage says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God 
our God and Father, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. Again, we see them, these very foundational principles, concepts, part of being a Christian, uh, brought together uh, again in a prayer uh, that Paul is uttering on behalf of this particular congregation. And here he's, I, I see that he's emphasizing the level of effort that's required in our ministry. He talks about uh, the work or the uh, work of faith, uh, or you could say the work that results from our faith because we have faith, we work. He talks about uh, the labor of love, and there the word labor uh, means laboring until you've exhausted yourself. Uh, it's not just, well, got a little job to do today, I'll take care of it. It carries in it the idea of laboring to the point of wilderness, of weariness rather. And uh, in spite of difficulties or discomfort or whatever that might come, uh, this is calling on us to exercise our love to the point that we are go beyond or are not overwhelmed or not prevented by difficulties, by being uncomfortable in some way or whatever. And if you think about it, uh, our Lord could legitimately say that he loved, but yet despite all sorts of difficulties and discomfort that he faced in his uh, brief life on earth. So if, if we place things in the proper context, I think we can indeed say that we should, our, our love should labor to the point of wilderness, weariness. And then he talks about uh, hope. And, uh, and uh, he talks about the patience of hope. And another word for that could be the word endurance. Endure. Your hope should cause you to endure. Um, and laboring to the point of weariness, I keep struggling with that word, uh, working because of our faith and hoping because in spite of having to endure difficulties, uh, I'm sorry if someone has told you, has misled you, that becoming a Christian is an easy and simple life. Uh, some folks seem to have the idea that being a Christian is like being part of, a, of this great society with a bunch of good folks. And it's certainly true. You are all good people. You are all great friends. I have some of you that we know much closer than others. And are very dear and special to us. But uh, Christianity is, and, and this passage, and again it links all of these three critical concepts into one package, work or love, uh, uh, faith, and hope. They involve and require effort, even to the point of weariness. I hadn't thought about that uh, 
Well, uh, if, to me, if there is an emphasis in this particular passage in 1 Thessalonians, it would be on the faith. Because faith is what we do, what we work, what we're about in terms of action as a result of what we believe. And certainly he's talking about it being uh, something that we work at. And uh, you work at that by laboring uh, to the point of weariness in your love. Yes. Brother Fred. The work of faith phrase puts me in mind of Ephesians 2.10 where Paul admonishes us to walk in the works prepared beforehand for us by God. Created a workmanship to work. Good points. Well, as usual, you've given me something to think about as well. I'll have to think about that further. Excellent point. Now, I think it's useful also to think in this prayer of Paul's, how is the gospel described? Now, we know all of these principles that are, or facts that are listed here. But it occurred to me that perhaps we can use this passage to describe to some of our friends who are less knowledgeable or perhaps who are not Christians, what is the substance What is the nature of the gospel? And in verse 5, he begins this description of the the depth, the width, and the height of the gospel, or at least in, in large part, I would suggest. He describes it as a word of truth in verse 5. Uh, He tells of this hope that you heard through the gospel. And that hope is laid up for you, for saints, uh, in heaven in verse 5. It says in verse 6 that it's for everyone, for all the world. And probably there, he, in the context, he was probably referring about the Roman Empire. That would have been the world at the time. But for us, we know it's broader than that. The gospel is also the truth about the grace of God. Uh, We learn about God's gracious gifts and his most special gift of all, Jesus Christ, through the gospel. It is described in verse 6 also. Notice it says there, which has come to you, the gospel, as it has also in all the world, is bringing forth fruit as it also as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. The other thing that he mentions there in verse 7, as you also learned from Epaphras. So the gospel, the truth, is something that is learned. And in this case, he mentions the faithful servant Epaphras. And to me, that suggests that we need to carefully think about who we're going to listen to in terms of teachers and preachers. Uh, We need to exercise judgment and and, uh, know ourselves when the truth of the gospel 
is being taught. Now I want to switch a little bit and try to draw some applications from Paul's prayer. We've talked about some of those already, but uh, I've referred to this, I've labeled it Christ in me or Christ in us in Colossians. So what does it mean to us? Uh, the things that we've looked at in Paul's prayer, the things we read there. And I've, I've shown three columns here, and uh, I don't know whether you can make out the words faith, hope, and love, but I would suggest in large measure Christianity rests on these three columns. Certainly not all. Certainly the foundation below all of that is Jesus Christ himself. But uh, these are things, uh, as he mentions there, that are gifts of God's grace. Uh, he mentions in Ephesians that faith, we have faith through grace. He mentions in Second Thessalonians that hope is by grace. And then he speaks of love in Second Timothy 1 and verse 7 that we've been given a spirit of love, not a spirit of fear. So these are all God's gifts through his grace. And they are lived out, they are exercised, faith, hope, and love in Christ, only in Christ. But Jesus is, he is the object of our faith, but he is also that realm in which we live. We live to be like him. We live out our faith, our hope, our love in the church, in the family, uh, in our community and in, in all the places that we go. As I've mentioned already, faith is the exercise of what we believe. Uh, love is the mechanism by which we express our faith and which, by which our faith works. Galatians 5 and verse 6 talks about faith working through love. And again, that passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 that I cited earlier. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of love, your, your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are things that are traits that require an ongoing, continuous, diligent effort on our part. And as I mentioned before, some would suggest Christianity is an easygoing, casual kind of religion. Not the case at all. I think everyone here probably understands that very well. But these are really fundamental columns or principles, if you will, uh, that undergird our Christianity. And then hope. It is, in many ways, the foundation of faith and love. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20 says something interesting about our hope. It says that our hope is secure. It's reserved. It is stored up. It is laid up. Uh, it's been deposited in heaven. And it's away from anything or anyone that would be an enemy to our hope. It's away from moth, rust, and thieves. 
uh, as that passage points out. Some other things that I think with regard to fruit bearing that are worth considering. Um, and I notice as I look at the back of the auditorium that that black lettering on that dark background doesn't show up very well. What those words say is the gospel is a fruit tree according to uh, verses five and six. The gospel is bringing forth fruit. So it is literally, in a sense, a fruit tree. But we know the gospel is also the seed. It is, a, it is the seed by which uh, new life is brought to spiritual beings. Talks about bearing fruit uh, in all the world. And uh, that suggests, to me at least, that we don't have a right to discriminate. We've seen a lot in the news lately about various kinds of discrimination and hate speech and so forth. But uh, bearing fruit in Christ doesn't have any room for any of that sort of thing. Uh, And of course, we're familiar with the parable of the sower and the good soil there. And the good soil was said to bring forth or bear fruit word I think used in the scripture is the word crop but it is if you look at it it really is the word for fruit and so 100 or 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold I've always understood that to represent the various capabilities that we collectively bring to the table as a part of part of the kingdom he mentions several things with regard to bearing fruit. Uh, He says about the gospel that it has to be, uh, in verse 6, bringing forth fruit as it it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. We have to know that word has behind it the idea of of in-depth understanding, uh, not just casual acquaintance, but thoroughly understanding God's word in order for us to bear fruit as we should. Uh, So if we're going to share the gospel, if we're going to share the truth, we have to equip ourselves by an in-depth study. Now, not all of us are going to understand and have the capability to to know to the same degree or the same depth. But uh, this passage, Paul's prayer, suggests to me that we need to diligently work to have an accurate understanding, a complete understanding of the gospel so that we can be equipped to share it with others. Because there are all sorts of skeptics out there who would have us look another way. One of the thoughts that came to my mind is is I I am constantly bombarded, and I know you are, by tell me what you think of our service for you today. Even doctors and nurses and hospitals hit you with that sort of thing. Or how do you rate this book? Well, what if we as individuals or we collectively as a church 
had to face up the fact that others were going to review us. Would we get a one star, two star, three, four, five? Of course, five is the best. Uh, but uh, some questions I'd like to suggest for us to think about. Are we known when it comes to being reviewed? Are we known to other brethren like these people were here in Colossae for our faith, love, and hope? Are we known would be be reviewed for uh, not having doubt about our hope and even openly expressing that hope? Are we known for knowing and hearing the truth? Are we known for speaking the truth and making it available broadly at all times under all circumstances? Are we known for our continual and increasing fruit-bearing as these brethren in Colossae were? Another and final important point to make with regard to this prayer, the word truth is, I think, important there. It occurs only two times, but in fact, it's the only two times in the whole book that the word itself occurs. Uh, And he uses it twice. He talks about the word of truth of the gospel is brought forth. The idea of being brought forth is similar to the idea of being born again or being, being, bringing uh, to birth. And we know that the gospel, of course, results in a new birth. And in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, Paul admonished the young preacher to accurately handle the word of truth. The other mention of the word is the grace of God in truth. Uh, God's grace resides in the truth of the gospel. We understand God's gracious gifts and all that we know about Jesus, most precious gift of all, by the gospel, by the words that we have here. Paul's prayer was based in truth. Uh, And our prayers, I would hope, would be based in faith, hope, and love. And these would be continually ongoing things that we would practice. Uh, And keep in mind, I am preaching to myself when I say this. Next week, we'll look at part two of the prayer, and that's Paul's petitions uh, on behalf of the church there in Colossae. And that's verses 9 through 14 of chapter 1 of the book of Colossians. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.